I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your hearts as we go through this journey together. Hello, my beautiful, loyal Solis family. This episode is the downright painful. And as always, I mindfully offer a warning. This episode contains explicit details. I do not believe it to be suitable for children. I tell you this with peace and grace, but this story still needs to be told, even if it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It does discuss early childhood trauma, sexual assault, drug use, criminal activity, domestic violence. Please, when you listen, can you do so with compassion and a real thirst to understand the other side of the story of drug use. Thank you. Hello, hello, Solis, and welcome to another episode of Sulky Bendigo's podcast, Naked. This is part two, and you're joined again with my awesome sister, Crystal, who since the last episode has actually turned 40. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! So this is part two, and I have named it Finding Her Way Home. So this whole theory with this podcast was about my sister being able to tell her story her way in her own words. So welcome back, Crystal, for episode two. Thank you. This is exciting. It's not so gloomy. No, no, (laughs) this is going to be a bit more upbeat. Last episode, we heard all about the challenges that you face through drug addiction and where that took you, the road you went down, the loneliness, the darkness. And this episode is all about coming back to the light because you can come back. And that's the number one thing that I really love how you do that hashtag on a lot of your sobriety posts when you talk about your sobriety and you give your timeframes and you do that hashtag. We can recover. Yeah. Yeah, because most people think that once you're a junkie and that far down the rabbit hole that you will not come back. So, yes. Okay. So let's talk about, we took off last time that you'd hit rock bottom. Yep. Things were very bleak. Mm-hmm. You'd had a couple of near-death experiences from some domestic violence situations. Yes. Terrible, terrible pickle you were in. Yes. It was on the other side of saying what it was like to have a loved one that was an addict. Yes, that's right. And that was my wake-up call of, wow, okay, I know he loves me, I know he's in there, but he's so in love with this drug and addicted to this drug that he's not him anymore. And I used to have a nickname for him when he'd change into that persona, when he'd use, because his whole mannerisms and his 
the way he looked at me, his facial expression, everything about him was different. He was like, one day he walked out of the bedroom and I was scared because I didn't know it was him because he just gone in and used and he come out a completely different person. And that's when I realized, okay, this is what it's like. Yeah, and that gave you the lens of compassion. Yeah, gave me like, oh, God, this is what I've been doing to my own family. Yeah, okay. And I didn't see it. No. So what do you think, you know, I have a lot of families who come to talk to me about their relatives that unfortunately have developed a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And they often say to me, you know, do you think jail's the right thing for them or what's the right place? So I don't want to talk so much about the prison side of it, but sometimes we we begged for help for you yeah. for a long time. We could not get you into a rehab facility. No doors were opening for us. It wasn't until you committed crimes and the police stepped in that any kind of intervention was offered to you. And basically, that was just to keep you out of prison. Yeah. You know, I don't want families to have to get it to get as bad as ours before there's some sort of help. Yeah. So please talk us through the process of how the police helped, what they offered you, you know, obviously you wanted to reject some of that. Yeah. Um, we spoke about how you were able to dodgy up some of your drug tests to, yes. to get through the system still and still try to have your cake and eat it too. Yes. But once you hit rock bottom and you realize that I don't want to do this anymore, I want my old life back, I want my old self back, what then? Tell us on your way home how that happened. Okay. So I had gotten clean. Um, I started getting clean again. I met a new guy. My previous partner had gone to jail for the domestic violence and I was in a pretty bad place. I came back to Bendigo and skull fractures, broken nose, broken eye sockets. I had two broken hands that were in full cast. I was an invalid. I could not do anything for myself. And I started kind of taking the spiritual route of meditation and stuff like that with a lovely local lady who was just amazing. And I remember her still saying that she walks into this workshop and she saw me there battered and bruised two broken hands and she's like all I just saw was an angel sitting there with a halo and yeah we became fast friends and that became a good source of me getting clean just concentrating my body on something else I then met another man I fell pregnant very fast which was amazing I always got told you know very low chance of me having children definitely picked from heaven from our dad that I was not have children. And then, yeah, I fell pregnant very fast with this man and I didn't know I was pregnant and I was doing really well. I was running every day. I was doing really, really good. I started putting on, on weight and this man was a bodybuilder for a very famous crew in Melbourne. And I just said to him, you know, I just, no matter what I do, I cannot lose this weight on my belly. Can I just use again for a second just to get rid of this weight? And he's like, I really don't want you to. He goes, I've heard stories about what you're like on it and I really don't want you. So I just don't know how to get rid of this. And then we had to go back to my GP in Gisborne who was treating me for post-traumatic and all the trauma from my ex. And she's like, let's just do a blood test and just see what comes up. And she did a blood test. And she did a urine test. She goes, we'll just do a pregnancy test just for shits and giggles. And we did a pregnancy test. And she's like, that's a very strong positive. And I remember just both of our faces dropping like, what? And him just sitting there looking. He's like, okay. And he's like, I'll just go wait for you in the waiting room. Like, don't leave me. <laughs> Obviously not something on your plan. <laughs> because you'd been told so many times you yeah. couldn't have children. You'd had a topic pregnancy. Yeah. And so one whole fallopian tube ovary was, was gone. gone. My strong, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so I was told, yeah, that wasn't a possibility for me. If it was, it'd be an IVF possibility. Yeah. And let's face it, during my 
drug addiction years, I also had a very, very high sex addiction. Yeah. And I never fell pregnant. Like yeah, when I was younger, but it was after the atopic, I just did not fall pregnant. So I was just like, well, this this can't be. She's like, no, it's positive. Uh, so that took a little bit of sinking in that I realized, well, that's why I can't get rid of this belly. That's, yeah. And it's I a did. Baby. And I was. And she showed straight away from even six weeks, I had this belly bump. Yeah. Like very prominent bump mm. that was, oh, granted, I was very small then. Yes. But I had this very prominent bump that I'm like, well, I can't hide this. This yeah. is, she's there. Hello. Yeah. So she set you on a course of, you know, moving back to the healthier way. Yeah. And were you working back at this point again? No, no, I still wasn't strong enough to be working mentally. Yes. I was still mentally, I was a mess. Yeah. Like it's only been the last 18 months that I've actually been strong enough to work mm-hmm. with my depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress and everything. That really took a toll on my mental health. Um, and it still does. Like some yes. days I still don't, I still have a close the curtains, have a movie day on in the couch, just can't deal with the world. And that's okay. They're okay to have those days. They're getting less and less, but they are absolutely fine to have those days. Okay, so did you attend rehab prior to finding out about your pregnancy? No, I went to detox. Yes, and I did Which that. is through who? Uh, How can people access that? So there, it used to be back in the day you could just go to a rehab or a detox, be transferred from a hospital, and mm-hmm. you'd be taken straight in. So you'd be taken in through yep. ED. Yeah, but that is not the case anymore. There is a long, long hurdle you have to go through to get to it. You have to call this company that's called AXO. They're in Benigo and they're an intake organization that you call them. They put you on an intake list. Every Tuesdays they have a staff meeting and they go through and say who are the new intakes for the week. Mm-hmm. And then they'll link you in with a Salvation Army or one of those ones. Yep, who community will, organization. Yep, yep, that will get you into doing the weekly meetings if you need it more often, like daily, every second day. They will do that for you. They're amazing. They'll link you with that and then there's the waiting list. Okay. Then they got to go to a detox center first. I have been seven times to the same one now. And when I tell you this place is like a day spa, it is absolutely lovely. It's at the Vincent de Paul Hospital at the bottom there. It's called de Paul House. Yes. And the food, the activities, like one day you're doing acupuncture, the next you're doing yoga. Mm. Then you've got meditation regularly every day, three course meals that are just huge. Yes. Absolutely huge and delicious. And you're all given responsibility again for the seven to 10 days that you stay there. So whether it be you're on dishes for the week, you're on okay. kitchen duty, you get your own room. I tendency, I'd always be I'm one of the only girls in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was always a lot of boys in there. And the staff, from when I started going there to my final one there for alcohol, they're amazing. They remember you. They know you. They remember everything about you. They're just the most kindest, sweetest people you will ever meet. Okay. But I've still got that, don't mess with me because, you know, I can mm, take your privileges. Accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they love what they do. And a lot of them are nurses or people who have come from someone in their family being that background who have gone into the other detox center. It's amazing. It used to be you weren't allowed your phone in there, which was very hard for me at the start. But now you're allowed to have your mobile in there. Mm-hmm. Or visitors or through checks and everything like that. Yep. So it is like you are locked up like a prison, but it is it is great. It is a saviour for getting you medicated detox. And do you feel like 
that's the first time in a long time you felt really seen and heard without judgment and shame. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Which is massive for anyone to be able to start their healing yeah. journey. So can mm-hmm. I ask you, why did it take seven visits? <laughs> different things. Different things. Different okay, things. so different substances yeah. or different triggering moments? Different substances, different relapses. They say that, especially with meth, that you will relapse seven times before you actually get clean. And there's a 3%, especially if you're an IV user, there's a 3% chance that you will become fully recovered. Okay. So I'd love to get that number higher. Yeah. 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 So it's, you got to keep trying. You got to keep trying. And each time my visits were further and further apart from each other. That's great. That's progress. Until, yeah. Until it was my last one. And then when I went back last time for alcohol, and it was actually alcohol and eating disorder that I went mm-hmm. back last time for. And they just like even now, like even though I was still there for alcohol, they didn't recognize me for how healthy I looked. Even though I was in there for eating disorder, I was mm. still a lot bigger than I was mm. when I was using. Yeah, and it's just seeing like them, like they were teary-eyed to see my personal growth, that my hair had grown back. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They're like, you just look like such a lady now, and yes. I'm like, well, I just got to kick this last hurdle. Yeah, and so listeners, I think that's something to really be considerate of, whether you are someone who is stuck in this hell of addiction or whether you're someone supporting someone going through this process, it's not a one-stop shop. it's not. You you have to continually go at it. And this is probably also another thing to, you know, talk our kids through and the generations coming through when it comes to drug use is that its claws get so deep in you Mm. that it's not just one stop at rehab, it's multiple stops. This is over years and years of recovery and healing. And as you said, you've awoken this spiritual comprehension of the universe, something much bigger than yourself and your circumstances, Mm -hmm. which then lets you be able to hear other people's points of view or experiences. Let's talk about once you started, you know, you're starting to learn how to eat well, you're starting Mm -hmm. to find purpose, you've now got a baby, Mm -hmm. which is hard because that's, you know, challenging for every single woman who has a fairly well-adjusted, emotionally intelligent mindset. But for someone like you who has post-traumatic stress and multiple personality disorders, you're still challenged with the drug addiction and alcoholism. You're still fighting your sobriety. Then you throw a newborn in there and life all of a sudden is much harder for you. I think the one thing I recognize with anyone who's been in your plight is the need for sleep. Yeah. And that isn't always possible with a newborn. So then did you find, okay, I can't keep all the balls in the air? That's when I relapsed for the last time. Okay. Yep. Just before she turned one, I'm like, how do women do this? How do they keep this baby fed, make all the baby food at home, keep this washing up to date? How do they do it with sleep but still make themselves look good, which I was not looking, I look like a bag lady. To have the house clean, spotless to the standard that it needed to be at. By whose standard, though? And this is the pressure yeah. that women put on yeah. themselves. Yeah. Whose standards are we following? Yeah. Because the people who love you who come around shouldn't give a shit and, in fact, should just pull their sleeves up and just wash your dishes for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that can't happen all but the I, time. That's my that was my control. They're like, no, 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 I just we just won't catch up today and I just wasn't letting people in. Okay. Because I was just overwhelmed. Sarah also had some health issues at the start Mm -hmm. with her epilepsy and that. So she'd have seizures during the night and just trying to keep on track of that and trips to the Royal Melbournes. And it was a lot. And I relapsed and I was so angry at myself when I did it. I was so angry that I'm like, what am I doing? Why have I done this? Why would I open that bag of worms again? 
to go down this path well, again. You felt like you had no other option. I just thought that. Well, I got. Or do you think you could control it? Yeah, well, it was just the only way I got everything done. But I was so I knew what I was like when I used. So I called DHS and I reported myself. And I said, I really need help. I've relapsed again. I have a violent tendency when I relapse. I'm a very hard drug user mm. in the past. I need help. I've got a newborn at home. Help me. A new baby at home. Help me. And they were amazing. They were over the next morning. I called you mm-hmm. and I said to you that I remember sitting on the back step. And I'm like, I need to tell you something. You're like, what? And I told you and I told you, but I've got a plan. I've called this person. I've done this, done that. And you're like, okay. Because we'd only probably started reconnecting. So let's just go back just to that stage. So for me personally, folks, I had, you know, I'd put all my brick walls up. I'd totally, Crystal had left my life totally. Like I'd had gone on and had children that she'd never met. And I was the sibling who couldn't tolerate her or her shit at all. And then slowly as I started on my spiritual journey and connected more to a faith with who I call to be God and the universe around me and and I just kept getting these messages that were coming through as I was having my like medium downloads. And the one thing that kept coming through was that Crystal was sober and she was catching up with my mum who had allowed her some grace back into her life again. And, you know, mum would come to me and say, oh, she's doing really well. You should really love to see you. And of course, as the hurt sibling that had so many boundaries in place, I was like, nope, don't want anything to do with her. I, I wish her no ill. I'm glad she's doing well, but I've got nothing left to give. And now I've got kids to protect. And then I just kept having these dreams and Crystal kept coming into them and I just couldn't deny. And then the final straw was when I was having a prayer one night and God came to me and said, how long does this person need to be sober for before you'll stop treating her like a drug addict? And I I kind of thought, well, fair point. You know, she has been sober for quite a long time now. And in that time, I had been on the side researching drug use, drug addiction, what happens to the brain, what it's like to come back, what you need to come back, and kind of getting a picture of, you know, who or what I was even likely to be able to be for her if I opened up and let a little bit of lightness in on our relationship again. I suppose in the olden days, you might call it the olive branch. Now, I knew I didn't really have anything to do that I needed to apologize for Crystal for. And yet in some ways I also did. It was also that I walked away and yes, I had to do that at the time or I disconnected, but I could have sent some text messages along the way. I could have said, hey, I'm still thinking of you. I still love you. When you're well, reach out. In theory, that could have worked. But like you said, that person who in the darkest moment was just on survival mode Mm. and would have just used that to every bit of the reasoning I now have come to peace in the role I played with Crystal in her darkest moments. But equally, I have to be accountable for the role I could play in her healing and contribute to the healing for her and for the rest of society as we move forward. And so I remember texting mum and saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm happy to have a couple with her. Well, it's like mum was told it was Christmas (laughs) and you're three years old and Santa's coming. She was so happy. And I remember the first time we saw one another, we went up, met on neutral territory mm-hmm. and we caught up and we hadn't seen each other since our dad had died. Mm-hmm. And before that, it had been many years. So it was basically just about rebuilding a relationship again. But from the very start, I put some very firm rules of the game yeah. of what it would be to be in a relationship with each other as siblings, but also as friends as we built the trust back up. 
So I had a few things that I set down, which, you know, don't ask me for money Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to help out with groceries. Don't ask me to get you medication, all sorts of things. Because Crystal was so fragile, it was even about creating boundaries of when she could contact me. So you can reach me up until 10 o'clock and you can text me and I'll be there for you. But after that, I need to sleep and I can't have you in my head. So it's kind of like, you know, if you ain't vomiting or bleeding, don't contact me, (laughs) which is sort of something that we sort of joke about saying to our kids when we're having a little bit of time out in the garden, you know, but you know, there were some boundaries and some rules I needed to be in place, but I was certainly open to a reconciliation because at the end of all of this, folks, I missed her desperately. And I knew through my faith and I knew through my love of community that I knew she was in there. And I knew that it was this, you know, if we think of quickstand, she'd been buried all the way up to her nose and she could barely breathe. But then somehow she was starting to evolve out of that space again. And it was like, I don't want to sound arrogant by saying that, but it's like you were up to your knees and if I just gave you that branch and pulled you free, you'd be okay. Mm. That was kind of the visual that kept coming to my dreams. Like she's almost out. She just needs one more piece of the puzzle and your love and acceptance and grace could be that piece. So then you rang me mm-hmm. a year after we'd been reconnecting yep. and treading very gently on rebuilding our relationship again and told me that you'd relapsed. Yep. And I, again, from my research, I knew it was very likely. From what I knew to be about shame and judgment, I knew, right, to fix this, she needs love, compassion, but firmness. Yeah. But you already knew that. Yeah which is why you rang DHS first and had a plan so that when you – and honestly, folks, it would have taken big balls to ring me. I'm a big sister who's very fun-loving, but I can be tough. I rang you before anyone else. I rang you – I rang DHS. I didn't tell anyone. I rang DHS and then I rang you. Yes. Yes. I didn't want to tell mum yet. And why was that? Why didn't you ring a friend? Why why me? Because I needed that firm love. Yeah. Because I needed that, okay, we can get through this. You fucked up. Yeah. But we can get through this. And it was. And, like, everyone, I know a lot of people say a lot of nasty things about DHS and they stole my family, did this. Listen, they were amazing. They got me clean. They got me into a wonderful rehab. This was the first time I was doing rehab. Okay. And I went to rehab and I was able to take Sarah with me. Mm -hmm. It was for mums and children. So DHS have stepped in. You've been put into a fantastic facility for mums and children. And Sarah came with me. So tell me about this facility that you were given access to. So it was a former retirement village that they had transferred into a rehab for mums and children. Listen, she was old, she was dated, but we got a building or you? Uh, I'm 40, I'm not 50. (laughs) You're older too, by the way. And also there's nothing wrong with being 50 for the record. (laughs) But we had our own rooms. There was a daycare centre in there. We had our own bathrooms. We had a commercial kitchen. We could cook for ourselves. We had classrooms in there that we go to school every day while our kids went to daycare. The daycare was right next to my room. So I was like, out the door, there you go. Love you. See you later. You know, Sarah learned to walk in there, which I don't know. It's people like, aren't you embarrassed about that? I said, no, no, because I had her with me and I saw that. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be there for that. Let's just, just that, that whole comment of, aren't you embarrassed about that? The alternative would yeah. have been death for yeah. you. Yeah. And Sarah with no mum. Yeah. Sarah so, non-existent. Well, thank God that we have people who will listen without judgment, 
find a way forward without accusation Mm -hmm. because if people thought like many people in society that they're a junkie, just let them die, what a loss they would have of who you have been for the last five years and what you have contributed to Bendigo, your friendships. It's so much bigger than that illness. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) But also so is the facility. And thank God the government – so is that a government facility? No, that was Salvation Army. Okay. Well, thank God for Salvation Army. Uh, It's called Bridgehaven. Yes. In Coburg. It is incredible. And I've honestly made lifelong friends there. Yes. It goes in a peer thingy. So you stay there for three months. Unfortunately, I could only stay for two months because then there was a safety risk because that ex got out of jail and found out where I was. Okay. So they had to move me out of the facility for the safety of me and the staff and the other clients. Yes. So I had to move out and come back to Bendigo, but that gave me all the tools that I needed to not to relapse. Okay. You go in classes and you go through the graduation and go up in the classes once you do things. And, you know, there's role-playing, there is studying. Role-playing of what? Like if something comes up with you on the outside world of, so as in someone says something to you and what to say and how to take a minute to breathe and think through your response. Yeah, and process that um, and then don't jump to conclusions. Yes. To bring it all down about, you know, being offered stuff. Yes. How to take it, center yourself. Go back into what you've learned of relapse prevention to put all that into place before you say the words of no thank you. I'm and how powerful the words are no thank you, I don't use. Yes. Ah, those simple words of no, I don't take drugs. Yes. It's just such a powerful, powerful saying for us now. Yes. Yeah, kind of puts us like, yes, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it's empowering to say that where, you know, before I'd be like, give it to me. Where yeah. now I the thought of someone coming up to me and like, like, ew, go away. No, yeah, no, I don't do that. And so what about, you know, if someone is offering you something, do you ever say, no, thanks, I don't do this anymore? And if you also don't want to do it anymore, what could you say to someone? Start at the bottom. Go see people at the Salvos. Go to an NA. Yep. Uh, NA and AA, they're great organisations, yes. but they don't work for everyone. Okay. They did not work for me. Listen, I know thousands of that they wouldn't be worldwide if they didn't work for everyone. Yes. But back then for me, even though I'm quite religious now, mm. it wasn't, it was very religious based. Okay. Where I wanted more of the spiritual based. Yes. Um, and even though Salvation Army is a religious charity, they didn't push that in there. Like you could do Bible studies if you wanted to or mm-hmm. everything like that. But then majority of the classes were how to be a mum, how to do the ironing, how to cook a meal, how yes. to budget. They were big on budgeting. They gave you, you allowed to have your own money, mm-hmm. but then you had to budget out of what you could have a week. No sugar. You're allowed to have one can of soft drink a week. Okay. Um, so no sugars, none of that, just healthy foods and everything like that. Yes. And that was amazing because it, they take you out on shopping trips to show you how to shop. Just think, the fundamental things that yes. we had all lost because we hadn't done that in our adult lives. This is what I find. This is actually probably like a big epiphany I had was – Because you had lost a decade of your life to learning life skills that all the rest of individuals who aren't drug users who live every day rather than, you know, partying or whatever else. And I remember you had a wound or something and I, you didn't know how to take care of it. Mm. And I was like, but you know how to, you've got to do this, then you've got to do that. Like it was such a simple thing. 
But then I realized, oh my God, what other skills hadn't you learned? Yeah. So there was even things like cooking. Yeah. And because you didn't hardly eat. No, and you didn't eat. No, no I, I love food. Yeah. I love food. But I love food and sleep. The two things I've never had yes. are like my two favorite things. Now. I'm like a cat. <laughs> but that's, I think that's another thing that if you're supporting someone who has been a drug user for, you know, an extended period of time, it literally is taking them and teaching them as if they're a child again. Oh, yeah. So, you to know, to make a phone call, to book an appointment, yes. um, to open your mail. I used to have a huge anxiety about opening my mail because it's all bills. So I'm like, oh, we'll just push that away. And then I'm like, oh, why don't I have electricity? Yes. Um, things like that, which I, Simple. I'd gone from living at home to living with boyfriends to now being on my own. I've never been on my own. I've had someone always do these things for me. And mm. then. I hadn't had the maturity part of going through those stages for being homeless in that. I'm like, oh, you have to do these regularly. So let's talk about this, that you're now living independently as a single Pringle and proud of it. (laughs) So when did you realize that you'd been using men and that relationship to Uh, be your power? So when did you realize- I don't think I was using men. I was codependent. Yes. When I say using men, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that as you were using companionship- Yeah to fuel your purpose and to fuel your self-love. So when did you realize, I actually don't need that from another person. I hold that within me and I am empowered to do that myself. When I fell pregnant and I pushed a baby out by myself. Yes. I was like, you know, everyone's like, do you want any, like mom, yes, my mom was in the room, but she wasn't, I had this room. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Stand in the corner. <laughs> I'm like a shrew when I'm in pain. I just go to bed and just lay there and like, don't touch me. Yeah. Again, because you haven't learned how to manage pain. No. And having Not, people yeah. close to me for, for trying to help me is like, get away. Get, 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 get. Yeah. It, for visual reference, I'm hitting my sister and pushing her away right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So doing that was just like, okay. And then. All of a sudden, I'm in hospital with a new baby, and I remember- And the dad is not present. He is not. He left during the pregnancy. That's yeah. okay. Yep, that is. That's that's fine. Yep. That's okay. We're moving on that past that. Uh, there's no issue there. Um, <laughs> hashtag breaks down. <laughs> no, you are doing fine. Oh, yeah. And Sarah just- Sarah knows that her mummy works hard. Her mummy's got two jobs. Her mummy- supports her her mummy makes sure things get done her mummy pays for her private school her mummy that is empowering itself yes like i'm no she's not going to public school no yes she's going to catholic school yes she's if i have to still be wearing the same bra that i had pre-pregnancy i'm fine with that yeah if i have to you know go without god thank god for afterpay but you know if i have to go without i will i will not eat so what is the drive that you think giving her all of that, what are you trying to avoid? I know I probably won't have much to leave Sarah when, when I pass. Because, again, you have a whole decade of no asset yeah, building, no exactly. wealth generation. Yeah, no super. Only debt. I've paid off all my debts, so yep. that's gone. Yes. But at the same fact, rent is huge and you're doing it on your own for a three-bedroom mm. house. That's that's huge. And then bills and then everything on top of that, car, insurances, it all adds up. like, yes. And that's my power is like I can pay my bills. Yeah. That's all done. I know it's done. Private school, you know, everything adds up. So the reason you feel is that I want to spend money on her education to set her up for life. Okay. So her money on her education, on her extracurriculum, all that stuff, I want to spend money on that, not leaving her a chunk of money to set her up for life mm. so she's prepared to go into the world. Okay. 
And again, that's all about her avoiding what you experience. Oh, absolutely. That's she, the deepest core yeah. is that please don't do it the way I did it. Yeah. Yeah. She's educated on all of that. She knows all about drugs. Mm. She knows about alcohol. She knows about a lot of things that little six-year-olds shouldn't know, but I, my theory is that I was never educated on that growing up. Yes. And I, it was always glamorized to me. Yeah. I don't want it to be glamorized to her. Yeah. I want to know this is the real life. And we have a neighbor across the road that we've known since she was 10 weeks old that is in the midst of spiraling at the moment, rock bottom. Mm. And this is someone she's always been close with, that in the house regularly, this is all happening. And she sees that he's a different person now, that yes. his body's changed and he's... And might I add that the rest of the street is absolutely oh, lovely. It's gorgeous. There's just one fellow who is so far heading down the rabbit warren. And I suppose the reality is it's hard to watch, it's hard to witness. But this is the, an awareness that you feel mm-hmm. very passionate about yeah. providing her. Yeah. But equally that... This fellow has to go on this journey he does. to find his way back. His and way so- past, he knows that we will be there for him. Mm. The whole street will be there for him. Yeah. Um, that will love and support him when he gets the help. Yeah. But, but at the moment, like I did, we're <sighs> stepping back from yep. you and good luck. Yeah. I hope you ride that coaster with your arms in under the rails. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about, so you found your spirituality. Can you tell us a bit more now as we get ready to finish this episode What's your wellness? What do you do for your self-care? Because as we know, when anyone has a sleep and eat count, (laughs) sleep and eating count, beyond that, you know, what do you find? Because you're still living with the aftermaths of being a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ever really go away. And definitely you get better at talking back to it to tell it to pipe down or I don't need you. You're a liar. Do you talk to the cravings as a third person? Do you journal down? Like what do you do to help yourself? Stay away, stay on your lane, stay focused. If I'm struggling, I go out bush. Me and my daughter, we go out and we hike. Yes. We go bushwalking. We love it. And we. So grounding. So that's yeah, grounding back yeah. in with nature. And we'll go barefoot. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go barefoot out there just to feel the earth, to get out there, to be back in nature. It's a good thing for both of us. Mm. We've got numerous different tracks around Bendigo that we go depending on the severity of my cravings <laughs> and my mental health that day. Yes. And now with the new puppy, the puppy is in tow with us, coming along. Friends come when they know I'm struggling. They're like, come on, we'll take you out, Bush. Yeah. Yeah, I've got an amazing tribe around me now. Mm. Which you hand-selected. I did. And some of those are also people who have recovered from. Absolutely, they are. Yeah. So you, yeah, and it's interesting because obviously we had my birthday the year before last, I think mm-hmm. it was, and it was probably a, the first time you'd been integrated back into my friendship group who some of them had never met you before, only ever heard of you. Yeah. And some of them knew you before you got sick, during your illness, and you had to fight to get back yeah. to that friendship. Yeah. And I remember you having so much anxiety about uh, coming out to dinner. Listen, your, your richy rich friends are a little bit intimidating. <laughs> no <laughs> offence, girls, but you are. We're not actually richy rich. It's you just are a- total richy riches. <laughs> And you're intimidating and we're a bunch of hairdressers who love glamour and oh, we I'm do never, our hair. We brush our hair. Is that what you mean? I, I, there's two types of people I've never got along with. It's hairdressers and footballers. And <laughs> they're both clicky people. Oh. <laughs> I do do well. With click. No offence to all the hairdressers out there, especially mine, Alicia, you're amazing. But she's not clicky. <laughs> no. Well, that's I suppose. It's just, again, you missed out on a decade of forming friendships in workplaces. And I think, you know what, they are lovely girls. They are. But they're so protective of you. Yes. And that's what I know the core value is of their 
They're like watching me like a hawk. Is she going to do anything wrong? Is she going to hurt her again? Is she going to break her heart? And they are. They're protective and they're like a little army around you and that's fantastic. Yeah. And I can see where the standoffishness comes from. Mm. But the same fact's like, hey, (laughs) (laughs) I'm that sister (laughs) coming to dinner. But you end up having a fabulous night and the one thing that, we were laughing about at the table is one of my newest friends from my mother's group who'd never met you because she'd obviously come into my life since we've become mothers. But she was sitting at the table and Crystal and I were sitting, you know, you got pride of place next to me to keep you under my little wing while you're feeling nervous. And she was sitting up. I think I was next to you and next to Jess. And I'm like, oh, okay, happy place. Yes, because <laughs> Jess has known you the same through all the stages, yeah. all the crystals. But my friend was sitting opposite the table and she's looking at you, looking at me, and she's like, this is like deja vu it's like two gales but one's just a lot taller but she's like your speed of speech your mannerisms the way you throw your head back when you laugh she's like I now have two gales you know how fun is this (laughs) but being absolutely baffled that she'd been my friend for a decade and this is the first time she's meeting you and again a lot of those people were also nervous because they're like oh you know is she going to split? Is she going to be violent? Not that. Not that. <laughs> no, they were not thinking that. It's more that how do we read the room? Yeah. Like have they really healed or is this going to be like the most fucking awkward dinner I've ever experienced? But it wasn't because we're very entertaining together. Yeah. Like we're being keeping it very G and PG for you folks today. But normally it's quite a wild laughter. We're very mindful that we really want this message to get across that, you know, People can heal. People can recover. Your relationships can be restored. Your family can get your family back together again. It just takes time, folks, and it takes the right intervention and finding the right channels. And when your family have to step out for a little while, finding another family that's good for you through finding spiritual workshops, through finding tribes who are really empowered to seek connection without judgment. And that's what Soul Care is all about as yeah. well, is Soul Care Bendigo is all about running these workshops where people can come in from all sorts of demographics and start to build a new tribe and community if they feel they can't get it from their own family mm-hmm. that they were born into for whatever reason. So I just am so thrilled. And celebrating your 40th birthday was so, so much fun. Much so Richie Richie, all your flowers, all the balloons. You know, it's about time. I do something like that for myself. And yes. it was. I've been to feel very far too. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it was great. And it was and lovely because all the alcohol was non-alcoholic. The yes. champagne. Now, how good are they? It was a great sober event. I would really highly recommend far more sober events. Yeah. Because that non-alcoholic champagne, not champagne, yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And the cocktails and and the beers. And while we're talking about surprisery, I want to give a plug to a little Bendigo store that's local. Mm-hmm. Please tell us about it because I think there should be more non-alcoholic events okay, around. Okay, so Zero Liquor is the first non-alcohol-free bottle shop in central Victoria. Absolutely amazing. It's at Strath Hill in Kennington. You go in there, anything you can think of from spirits to cocktails to beers to champagnes to wines. Anything you can think of, you can get in there and absolutely zero alcohol. It is amazing. And what's the name of it? Zero liquor. It's next to Top Dog Liquor. Yeah. So it's it's got an alcohol bottle shop next to it, but then it's got a whole store dedicated to absolutely zero alcohol. And you know what? It's my favorite shop because I still like to have the fancy glasses in my hand with the yeah. bubblies in it. Yeah. You know, for the photo grab, for Instagram grab. And- <laughs> 
for all that, but it is. You can do it sober. And it's cheaper because yeah. it hasn't got alcohol. Yeah. So it's a win-win and the stuff tastes amazing. Yes. It's really great. And I really love that your 40th was a total, I know it was actually by accident that the liquor license didn't come in for the venue, but I always think the universe is always smiling at yeah. us. And I loved that it was a zero, a zero coast I think um, was, event. Yeah. I didn't want to have to deal with people drinking. No. So that was a and blessing it changes to me. the tone of the quality of the conversations, yeah. especially because you made it a daytime event. Yeah. And it meant that, you know, like Crystal said earlier, we've really mindfully chatted to our children about juggeries. They, you know, my kids know that Auntie Crystal was homeless at one point and that's because of decisions that were made. And they also see the person she is now and the grace and compassion in the whole family. And so I love that they're going to events that can still be a little bit special, but no one's flaring up. There's no family conflict coming in because of alcohol. It's all just really loving and just really pleasant. Just good people, good energy. Good energy. And that's actually what alcohol is, is energy. And that's what it fires up in our bellies and in our brains. And so I'm just really loving it. And I love that our kids can be in an event where, you know, when we came from a background with a lot of alcohol at it, and that was just, you know, that's the back in the day in the early 80s, that was just the normal. But there is a new alternate normal coming Mm. out and I'm here for it and I'm thrilled. Yeah, a lot more people are going the sobriety right and I'm here for it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think alcohol's, while it still might have a space in some capacity, I think a lot of people are starting to turn away from it. Mm. Also because your body just can't digest it anymore. Oh, we're too anymore. old now. Too yeah. old. It just, I don't want to feel like shit. My, I, I'm so aware that my life is so short that, you know, as I said, I, I still do drink occasionally for whatever reason. But, yeah, if you see me up dancing at Piano Bar, it's likely that I'll be sober. Yeah. But I get caught up in the euphoric energy yes. of dancing. And because I'm an energy being like we all are, but I'm a particularly, and you are particularly tapped into that, I can build energy without stimulation mm-hmm. now. And the stimulation comes from being around people, people who are good energy. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's more just good music. It's, it doesn't have to be the people because most of them are hammered. Yeah. But it's the, I can feel the music. I'm living in this present moment. I feel the beat through the soles of my shoes. I feel my heart rate elevating. I feel this euphoric. I feel sexy. And that's enough for me now. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. So congratulations on Thank the start you. of your 40th year. Thank you. Yes, it's very good. I got spoiled. You did. And we're so pleased that you've come out the other side. And I just wish that this could happen for more families who are going through what we went through. And the whole thing is that we open up our stories to you guys as our friends, as listeners, so that you know that we... We've been through it. We've seen it. We've done it. We've lived it. We've nightmared. We've crawled out and scratched our way back. And you can too. Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you, Crystal. You can recover. You can recover. Yep. Enjoy the rest of your day, listeners. Crystal, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your vulnerability. I know the first episode was really tough, but this one has been much lighter and brighter. And what would you like to say to anyone who is listening that might be using and wants to get off or any family member who's supporting someone? What's a final little takeaway you'd like to give them? If you want to get clean, there is a way out to do it. There is love there. There is support there. There are people there ready to help you, wanting to help you. All you have to do is reach out. And where would that be to? Straight away, straight to AXO. Yeah. Reach out to AXO in Bendigo, in Pall Mall. Give them a call and they will accumulate with all the services within a day. Yes. Um, And what about if someone's listening from far broader? Do you think some of the ministry organisations? Or you need to turn to, yeah, ministry organisations or Salvation Army is pretty worldwide, isn't it? 
In a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So any um, Red Cross, mm-hmm. any of those ones, reach out to them. They're always really good. Local churches are amazing. You know, even down at the hospital, any emergency centre can link you in. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. It all and starts from somewhere. supporting? Have don't, patience? Don't give up. Have patience. They're in there. They're just lost at the moment, but they will come back. You just got to keep showing love. There you go. Just keep showing love. And make sure you do that really authentically, without judgment, without shame. Research, research, research what it's like to be a drug addict. Research what it does to the brain. Research trauma. Research post-traumatic stress. The more knowledge you have as a carer, the more you'll have compassion and grace, but it will help set you back up that you're not folding into any enabling stages, but equally, you're not turning your back and walking away from someone either. Someone that you love, they're not that far away. They're just stuck. So thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed Crystal's Way Home. We look forward to talking to you in the future and we just hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for letting me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.